You're listening to the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome podcast. Welcome to episode 35 of the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. I know it's been several weeks since I've dropped an episode. A belated Happy New Year to everybody. And needless to say, I hope you started the year shot out of a cannon. And that you're leveling up, getting squared away, and getting better and stronger every single day. Now, if you've been here before, you know what I'm talking about, and I want to welcome you back. If you're now just finding this podcast, and you're looking for me to talk sports and talk some shit, that's not what you're going to get here. But it doesn't mean that you're in the wrong place. Really quickly, this is the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. I am Jim Rome, and frankly, I am looking to reinvent myself. I am looking to reinvent myself mentally, emotionally, physically, maybe even spiritually. Truth is, I'm looking for a resurrection of sorts. If we're being real here, I was getting sick of the old me. I wanted to essentially shut that dude down, hit a giant reset button, and come back as a completely reinvented, reinvigorated, rejuvenated version of myself. Now, incredibly, that has not happened overnight. In fact, it didn't even happen in the first 10 episodes or the first 20 or the first 30. Truth is, it still has not happened. Certainly not completely, but it is happening as a process. And I've learned a hell of a lot along the way, and I'm much better right now than when I started this journey. Now, that said, there was nothing inherently wrong with me when I did start this several months back. Like many of you, I was just sort of in a rut. I was grinding, but I wasn't getting where I wanted to go. I wasn't evolving. I wasn't growing. In short, I was not improving. And if you're not improving, you're getting worse. And if you're getting worse, you're going to get run over and dragged. And I want to make damn sure that did not happen to me. I not only want to stay in the fight, I want to make sure that I was winning that fight. The fight against Father Time, and most of all, the fight against myself. I wanted to make sure that I did not waste any more time, and that my best 25 years were in front of me and not behind me. That was my mindset. That was my goal, to make sure that my best 25 years were in front of me and not behind me. And the only way to do that was to completely reinvent myself and my mindset, and that's what this particular pod is all about. So every single week, in addition to sharing my thoughts on my journey and what has worked for me throughout my entire life, I'll have a conversation with somebody who has an extraordinary story, and he or she will share their message and their strategies and their tactics for living an extraordinary life. And this week is no different. I am joined by one of my favorite guests ever, Molly Bloom. Molly is the best-selling author of Molly's Game, which of course was adapted into a sensational movie depicting her amazing life story. She is a keynote and motivational speaker. She is an entrepreneur, a content creator, and a former world-class skier. She is a brilliant person, and she and I had what I thought was an amazing conversation on another podcast that I do when her movie dropped a few years back, and I have been anxious to speak to her for this podcast ever since I started doing it. And today is finally the day. Believe me, you will love her and you will love this app. It's the first reinvention project of 2022 with guest Molly Bloom, and it's coming at you right now. Molly, it is so great to reconnect with you and have this opportunity to catch up. Thank you so much for making time for it. How is everything and how are you, Molly? Yeah, thanks for having me back on. It's been a minute. I'm glad to be uh, 
reconnected with you too. Um, things are good, you know. I uh, I've got some projects I'm excited about, and and I've got a baby on the way. In less than less than a month. Wow. So, all right. So why don't we start right there and I will get, we'll get to your projects because I know about your projects and I'm excited about that. I did not know about this project though. So how is that, how is this project treating you? Oh, Jim, it is not easy growing a human. I just got to tell you, I've done some hard things in my life. This is hard. That is great. That is really something you have, you have done some hard things in your life. Are you relying on your athletic background? Is that helping you right now? Yeah, I got to keep like, you know, leaning into the the recalibration of the mindset. <laughs> no, that's great. I love that. I love that. In fact, I'm, that's something I do want to get to. Leaning into the recalibration of the mindset is tremendous. You know, Molly, do me a favor. You and I spoke a few years back with Release of Molly's Game, which is such a brilliant yeah. movie. For those of the people listening right now who do not know your story, or maybe they think they do, but they're not truly familiar with your journey, can you take us back? For instance... You come from a family of extremely high achievers. Can you tell us a bit about your family and what it was like to grow up in an environment like that? Yeah. Um, so in my family, you know, we had this this dynamic of my father who was, you know, in the pursuit of excellence in every activity we did, whether it was like a simple chore or an athletic event. And then our mom who really sort of stood on her platform of like, you need to be good people in the world and, and your name matters and integrity matters. And, and so that, that, that was the socialization and parenting we got. And then my brother, Jeremy, um, it was just like a, a, an athletic prodigy from a young age. And he went on to be a two-time Olympian, six-time world champ, three-time world champion, mogul skier. And while simultaneously pursuing his football career, went to a D1 school, um, was having a really insane career, got drafted to the NFL. Um, so, you know, that was little brother at the, at the dinner table, if you will. My, <laughs> right. Incredible. My middle, right. My middle brother, uh, kind of just like one of those certifiable geniuses, you know, and he is a Harvard professor and a cardiothoracic surgeon at Massachusetts General. So, um, you know, that, that was, that, that was the quick and dirty on, on the Bloom family. And I was, you know, I, I was like really inspired by my brothers and really wanted to kind of like matter in that environment and was always looking for ways, was kind of looking for, for what my path was and, um, definitely pursued sports and, and, and academics, uh, as hard as I could, um, ended up making the US ski team, even though I had this crazy spinal reconstruction surgery and um you know it was kind of gearing up to go to law school and then life happened <laughs> and then life happened you know i'm, I'm really curious man like for instance when you talk about your brothers and you in and of your own right were exceptional as well i am curious about this though when you were growing up and you were in it did you feel like you were one of them did you feel like you fit right in or was there any part of you that felt like you know what maybe i'm not as good or good enough, and I can't measure up. You know, Jim, I don't think there was ever a day in my childhood where I felt like I fit in. And and it, with hindsight, I see that in another family, that that would have been crazy. But in my family, you know, it's kind of like if you weren't best in the world or in that category, I mean, we're talking about Harvard Medical School, Massachusetts General Cardiothoracic Surgeon. Number Jeremy was number one in the world at 18 years old in the same sport that I was competing um, with him. And, and so, you know, I just always kind of felt like I, 
I didn't have a seat at that table. And I think that that really affected my life, you know, and affected sort of like how determined I was to find something that was going to make me feel a little bit better. So it seems to me like, right, that you had to figure out what to do with that. So you were, I've heard you use the phrase, Molly, that you were like psychotically ambitious. They Like you were so <laughs> determined and then you went after it. But then you also were a very high level skier. What happened during your Olympic qualifying run? Yeah, so um, I <laughs> I tripped on a stick kind of. I, so I'm skiing, you know, I, I get on course and there's this lo- little tiny piece of pine bow on the course and uh it lodged itself in between my boot and my bindings and you know just a freak accident and my ski pre-released um you know 20 feet in the air and and uh I crashed and and that was the end of my ski career even though I was able to walk away from that even though you know um I was hurt but I wasn't hurt so catastrophically bad that it required me to to retire it was just a, it was a leveling, you know, I, I, I had to ask myself, do I have four more years than me? You know, my spine was fused. My spine is fused T3 through T11. So basically my entire thoracic spine is, is, is stationary and immovable with two metal rods and mogul skiing was probably the dumbest choice for sport that I could have chosen right. with that, with that kind but- of, you know, anatomical, uh, uh, interruption, but, um, <laughs> That's one way to put I, uh, it. Yeah. I, you know, I just, it, I just, I was so motivated to try to, to, to fit in with my family, you know, and, and to, to have that, uh, to have, to have that satisfaction. Today, so many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. This is why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get to the candidates worth interviewing faster, and it is free. I love LinkedIn Jobs. It is one of my favorite sites ever. I use it all the time. You should too. In fact, create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Focus on candidates with the skills and the experience that you need. Use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people. Then simply use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you want to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know that every single week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Rome. That's linkedin.com slash Rome to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. All right. So like you're obsessed with doing well and achieving and excelling. And then this is just ripped from you. So then what do you do then? You know, I was, uh, I had just taken, I was at the university of Colorado. I was finishing my undergrad. I had just taken the LSATs. Um, I like to give the disclaimer that if if you've seen the movie, um, Aaron Sorkin inflated my LSAT score a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. But I did well. And, you know, I was, that was the next step, but that retiring from skiing, kind of 
changed my perspective on the world a bit because I really felt like I had given it everything I had. You know, I got back on the snow at 12 years old after this crazy surgery. I worked so hard. I showed up, I skied through fear, I skied through pain. And it was just this, this unfortunate thing that happened. And I think that I was kind of reevaluating um, what my future was gonna be, you know, and, and kind of asking myself like, do I even wanna go to law school? But I wasn't ready to, to really look at that. So what I did is I just took a year off and I just wanted to go somewhere that felt worlds away from, from Rocky Mountain Freestyle, from the US ski team, you know? So I went to Los Angeles because I just, I, w- I wanted the sunshine. I wanted to feel like a kid, you know, this like last hurrah before I was headed to law school. And, and then I, you know, I started working for this guy and he asked me if I would serve drinks at his poker game. And that was kind of <laughs> the beginning of the, the rabbit hole. <laughs> the rabbit hole. So I was going to say, you did <laughs> did poker find you, or did you find poker? But I think that answers that question. So when you mm-hmm. he he brings you in and you're hired to serve drinks at a poker game, did you know anything at all about poker prior to that? No, I didn't know anything about poker, and I was, you know, I really wanted to seem sort of competent. So I was, I just Googled a lot, you know, like what 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 kind of music do poker players like to listen to? What do they eat? What what is this game? you know, really trying to educate myself. Um, and then just like walking into this room, having no idea what to expect. At the same time, oh, it sounds like you though, like you, you're going to get in there and learn everything as you put, you possibly could. And then not surprisingly, and if you know anything about your background, you quickly went from serving drinks to becoming a game runner and an operator. And then not too long thereafter, or maybe a little bit longer, you're extending credit to these players. You became the bank I mean, what a whirlwind. I, was it stressful? <laughs> was it exciting? Was it all the above? What was it like? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was definitely stressful. But I think when you're um, an athlete, you, you kind of almost get a little bit uh, addicted to, to, that, to the high stakes, you know, and to the like uh, stress and, and adrenaline. And for me, you know, when, when I started my own games, Um, And I did it pretty quickly and I was 25 years old and, you know, that first year I was making, I think, you know, a million or $2 and I had this game that everyone wanted to play in and I was learning, there was no guidebook, there was no, you know, there was really no one to learn from, no mentors and it was just this like, think on your feet and, and see how well you do and, you know, it was, it was really an incredible experience because what I realized is that that I was an entrepreneur. And for the first time, probably in my life, I was doing something that I felt I, I really had sort of like a natural affinity to. And that in itself was very addictive. And then on top of that, you know, the players that were in the game were some of the most famous and powerful and wealthy people in the world with also these incredible backstories. And I got to just listen to them and learn from them. And, you know, so it was all these ingredients that came together that sort of started to make me feel that, that thing that I was craving, which is what's my true purpose? Why am I here? What am I good at? You know, what am I like excellent at? 
So, I mean, it's it's what you, that that was the thing. Like you had to find your purpose, your thing, your right. why, and you found that. I'm kind of curious too. Like probably as a young person, and I mean, you went from. If I'm not wrong, Molly, like your parents were not in favor of this move and they kind of cut you off and you yeah. really didn't have much. And then like you point out, as a person in your young to mid-20s, all of a sudden, you know, you're making more than seven figures a year. You've got the beach house, the penthouse, the celebrity friends, <laughs> the cars, like all the yeah. things, right? The things, yep. the things you wanted, was it what you thought it would be? Did the hype match the expectation? What was that life like? I mean, I think in the beginning, in the first couple of years, when I allowed, when I, I still stayed true to who I was, which is a Colorado girl that came from a good family with good morals and that really analyzed people b- based on a different kind of meritocracy. Like I didn't really care so much that they were famous or rich. I wanted like I, the ones that I admired were doing good things in the world or had a good mo- moral code. And so I was kind of like, a tourist in this world. You know, I was like a, and and I I kept my business life separate and I had the friends that I, that I always had the down to earth friends. And it's, and when I was participating in it in that way, it was awesome because I was making all this money. I had this exciting job, but I was still myself. But what started to happen is I started to change and I started to immerse myself in that world and sort of adopt the values of that world as my own. And then I started to really lose myself. And then the hype, you know, then, then it was like, you ca- you catch the more disease. It's never enough money. It's never enough power. It's not, ne- you know, you're, you're just never satisfied. And that's what I found in that, in that world is a bunch of people with everything you could possibly imagine in the world and no peace, you know? What a fascinating response. What a fascinating response. So then, like, what happened, I would imagine, what I'm hearing is also you start to lose your discipline and probably start mm-hmm. to make choices that you were not making before, choices that were not great, and then you get kind of caught up in that lifestyle. Like, before you're able to separate the business from the life, and then you become a part of the life, how then did it all unravel? What happened? <laughs> um, you know, it, these things rarely happen overnight. Right. So um, it, it was it was eventual. But the culmination happened, you know, I decided to, for a litany of reasons, um, I decided to expand and go to New York City. And New York City was a beast, you know, LA, the games were big, and they were fun. And, and, um, and I was making stupid money by the end in LA even, but New York was like, crazy, you know, I mean, the, the games I was running there, buy-in was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars wow people are people are winning and losing a hundred million dollars i mean just nuts and and i you know i really lost it in new york i i I completely lost the plot and and i was running multiple games at a time and i was guaranteeing the games and i was the bank and i had tons of ego wrapped around that and you know, people were like using MDB ink checks as cash. I had this great reputation. I had all this power um, and I really let it get to me. And there be, there started to be signs. And, you know, Jim, that the, the strategy always was going to be get in, make a bunch of money, get your MBA, if you will, because that's really what this was. It was, it was a, a, an incredible masterclass in business. 
um, and then figure out how to parlay either your relationships or the skill set into something that that's actually sustainable, you know, but um, the money was so freaking good. And the, the access was so good. And then I got so wrapped up in it that when it started to get dangerous um, and it started to show signs of like, girl, you better get, you better like pull the ripcord. I, I wouldn't leave. And, and some of those signs that couldn't have been more obvious, like, you know, the uh, Italian organized crime um, basically demanding a piece of my operation. And then when I denied them sending someone to my apartment to, to take that threat to a physical violence level and, and, um, you know, and my debt sheet growing bigger and bigger and I'm getting sloppier and I'm taking like pills and, and other substances to be able to stay up. Cause I have like five games running, you know, a, a every week or seven games and, and it just, it never ends. And, you know, all the, all this confluence of, of really clear messages, like this isn't what it started out being, you know, this is really dangerous and, and, and really messed up. Um, and I just, I, I refused to leave, you know, I, I held on to it. I, I think there was this fear of like, I got lucky with this thing and what will my life be if I don't have it? You know, this is my full identity now. Um, and, and so, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it ended up basically with the, the mob and the feds after me. <laughs> I was going to say the same, Molly. I was going to say like, it, it's another amazing response by you. I was going to say it was not just the mob. It was the feds and it all comes yeah. crashing down, but not the good news, bad news, good news. You do not do any prison time. The bad right. news is, am I wrong or right in saying this? You were left with literally nothing. You had nothing right? Oh, it was rock bottom. I mean, I was, see, I was 35 years old in a, in a, in a federal, you know, now I'm a convicted felon. I'm not a little in debt. I'm millions of dollars in debt. Um, I'm a social pariah and nobody wants to pick up my phone calls. Um, at this time I'm really addicted to drugs, to pills and alcohol, like, you know, um, and, and, you know, like I, my business is done and and where do where do you where does one go from there so where does one go from there molly for instance <laughs> this is right this is a podcast on reinvention and i'm like a 50 something year old guy who wants to reinvent himself molly my god i mean where does one go for there you are the ultimate example of reinvention where did you even begin to start to rebuild and reinvent yourself and your entire life after everything ripped apart how did you go about doing that yeah. So I, I think the first, well, for me, I had to get sober. Obviously there, there were some things I had to take care of that would allow me to have clarity of mind and, and to move forward. I had to do, um, I think one of the most important, th two of the most important things I had to do was number one, I had to figure out how to forgive myself because if I didn't, I was never going to fight, you know, hmm. um, the, the amount of humiliation and shame and regret was crushing. And so I just had to get really, really clear on, look, we'll figure out later if you deserve to be forgiven. <laughs> just do it right now. Wait, Molly, um, really, I, I, I don't want to jump in. That is fascinating. You had to forgive yourself in order to be able to fight. So how did yeah. you forgive yourself? Or you just decided? 
it, it was a decision, but it was also uh, a practice. Um, I think, you know, something I learned from sports is that if you want to change something, you have to be relentless with it. So, um, so, you know, just becoming aware of the times where your brain is like, God, I just, I messed everything up. I'm the worst of this, that, and the other, whatever that inner dialogue is and, and coming in with a different narr- narration and, and just being relentless with it until you, you start to sort of change the, the, the messaging in your brain and you don't buy into the, the other stuff. Um, the other thing that I had to do was I had to take full responsibility for it. You know, this was my fault. I did this. Um, and if I could create a mess this gigantic, I could probably create a solution too. You know? hmm. um, <clears throat> so it was a ton of work on mindset, um, a ton of work on mindset and, you know, a, a ton of research on like, h- how does one actually change change the brain you know like and is that possible and and stuff like that and um so meditation is an insanely great tool because it allows you to start to train yourself to take over your focus you know when i was in that place of of total destruction you know ruination annihilation if i was to just completely identify with the with the messaging in my mind i would still be there but what meditation and, and this sort of like awareness allows you to do is it allows you to see what's happening in the mind, not really pay attention to it and, and go about your day. So it, it's a process of getting unidentified with the thoughts and the emotion. Because when bad stuff happens, there's such a negative slant, you know? So it was a ton of work on mindset. It was a, a matter of blocking out the rest of the world, what the world thinks, what, you know, all, all that stuff. And, and I had some practice doing that from when I was 12 years old and, and the doctors and coaches and parents were like, you're, you're not going to ski moguls again, you know? So I kind of knew what that was about. And then coming up with a plan, you know, a, a somewhat crazy, but also somewhat realistic plan. And for me, that was like, okay, um, I've pretty much scorched this thing to the ground, but what, if anything is, is, is left? Is there, is there any part of this business of this life that could be a monetizable asset? And I just, (laughs) I really landed on like, well, the story and the story has gotten traction. It's been in all the tabloids, you know, it's been like, people know the story. And so that was, as soon as I landed on that, I started to formulate a plan of like, okay, so how do I get that story out there at scale, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I wrote the book and then I started taking the, the, the book to Hollywood. And I thought like, Oh my God, people are going to really want to do this movie. You know, this is like a unique story. You've, we've heard this story before, but it's usually a man r- running the underground criminal syndicate or whatever it is. Sure. You know? And I was like, this is like a group of girls and, and, and women and, and like, better. these are names that we know. Right. Yeah. So I was like, you know, like, this is kind of a cool story. Um, certainly Hollywood could do something with it, but, and people, you know, I was getting all these meetings and people seemed really interested and then everyone would pass. And so finally I, I got really sort of honest. I asked for some honesty. And I said, can, you know, this person at one of the big networks passed and I said, can you just 
kind of tell me why, because when we were in the room, I could tell you were really interested in it. And this has been a pattern and I'm, I'm just trying to understand this. And he was like, yeah, there are a lot of, I'm, I'm going to tell you that there are a lot of people in DC, you know, a lot of billionaires and a lot of people in Hollywood that are, that are asking all of us not to make this movie. Hmm. And, you know, that was, pre- that was a pretty big obstacle. <laughs> Like that that was your way out. That was your way out. That was the plan. Yeah. But, and I didn't have any other ideas. So I was like, well, <laughs> I got to make this happen. And so, you know, it's kind of like back to the drawing board and like, okay, so what's the solution here? And, and spend time wrestling with it and thinking. And I think during these times, it's really important to be able to have some time, quiet time to write and to think and to try to work things out. And I was like, you know, in every meeting, people talked about, the key to getting this made is to find the right writer. And, and this was around the time that the social network had come out and, and Aaron Sorkin has always been my favorite writer. And, and, you know, I made this short list of people who I believed don't have to play politics as much. Hollywood needs them so much. We're talking about like the Shonda Rhimes, the Spielbergs, the Sorkins. And I was like, if I could get one of these people creatively engaged in this, um, maybe we could bypass the the people running interference you know it's just it was an it was a thought so i started asking people if i could get a meeting with aaron sorkin most people like laughed me out of the room or said things like sorkin's not writing the movie about the poker princess or whatever they said you know but you were not taking um, no for an answer i just didn't have the luxury of taking no for an answer and and that and that fearless survival mode attitude hmm. is so is so effective that I, I always try to channel that whenever I'm doing a project, but it's hard to really channel it. Cause like you're in survival mode, you've lost everything. You're completely fearless. It does not matter. Ego checked at the door. Who cares? You know? And I finally got that meeting with Sorkin and I told him my story and he's sitting there. He's pretty poker faced. And then I think I, I told you, I said this on the last podcast, you know, I, just hilarious like when I was done telling him he was like well I'll tell you one thing kid I've never met someone so down in their luck and so full of themselves <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great line it's so funny it's such a great line it's I mean, so funny you know, who, who has better lines than Sorkin but you know and, and it, what he was saying in a funny way was like he was just so confused how someone who had completely lost everything was sitting there fighting for themselves with this level of confidence and, and self-assurance and you know, that was that really like cool, fearless survival mode and, and being able to tap into that is powerful. You know, I got to say, Molly, it's, it's amazing. Here's something I want to say, like as amazing as your story is, and on some level is fascinating and salacious, even if you were my favorite moments of our relationship, my relationship with you now is two interviews. My favorite moments are what you were saying a few moments ago about mindset, about the amount of work you did on your mindset, about meditation, about it sounds to me like you kind of learned to reprogram your mind. This is so important that narrative that that movie that's going on that loop that's going on in your mind if you give into it and you buy into it then of course you're never going to take massive action or positive action and that to me as interesting as this all is as amazing as the movie is and i'm gonna get to your new project in a minute i'm most fascinating about how you were able to reprogram your mind that way yeah no it's 
it's it's one of the most it's probably the most empowering thing I've ever done and I don't think I would have ever realized that that we have that capacity had I not gotten to such a place of rock bottom can I ask you something really quickly about when you you ran so many games and because you're such a keen observer of like human nature, you saw thousands and thousands of games and people winning and losing millions of dollars. And you see people over in the winner's circle and then you see people over in the loser's circle. Is it just all chance and luck or were there certain threads or commonalities that ran through everybody in the winner's circle and certain threads that ran through everybody in the loser's circle? Oh yeah, no. I mean, it it, it was. It, there is something to luck. I don't know what it is. Um, there are some people that are uh, luckier than others, and I find it fascinating. And I would have. I'm 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 such a I'm so rational that I would have never believed it had I not watched thousands of hours. But it's a minor, minor detail, um, and the major details uh, are kind of what we're talking about here a bit. When you when you see the players that are aren't in control of themselves, aren't in control of their inner world and they're coming from ego or they're coming from greed or they can't control their impulses. Um, they can't walk away. Uh, those are the people that are losing every week. And it's the people that are able to stay hyper rational, keep emotions out of it, um, play a game that is maybe less exciting, but, but much more efficacious. Um, <clears throat> they're, they're, you know, they're the ones that are going to win. Um, in my game, there were so many impulse players and so much emotional play um, that if a pro would have come in and played in those games, it would have been all over, you know? Um, but, <clears throat> you know, there, there was a, just a ton of gambling. But when someone came into the game with that, that control over self, you know, that control over emotions and thoughts and that ability to, to opt for rationality and for rational thought over emotional impulse, you know, they're, provided they can understand the simple prob- probability and odds, you know, they're making better decisions and they're winning. And not just for the game itself, like you just echo the one thing that I've done this podcast now, Molly, for several months and a few dozen episodes. And I think this is the favorite thing that I don't want to say it's the favorite thing or my most important thing I've learned, but certainly the most important thing that's been hammered home that I'd heard earlier. But it, and you can phrase this any way you want, but it's like standard over feelings right? Control over emotions. I mean, effectively, that's what we're talking about, right? Standard. Let the standard be the standard and standard over feelings and let Mm -hmm. your your thoughts and choices and decisions be based on the standard as opposed to your feelings. And those are the ones who won. No question. So you have a big time project that is about to drop and it's a brand new podcast (laughs) and it's called Torched with Molly Bloom. Tell me all about this. When does it debut and what is it about? Okay. Um, well, this is one of the projects and this is the one that's coming up the soonest. And so it drops January 18th. It's called Torched. And it's about Olympic, this season's about Olympic scandals and controversies. And I kind of thought going into this, well, this is going to be super fascinating because I'm so interested in this intense high level, like human ambition um, combined with you know, the high stakes 
and the and the human condition you know like put all those things together and there's some fascinating stories and i kind of thought when it was pitched to me when i when i was asked if i wanted to be a part of it well we know all these stories you know we know the tanya harding story but there are so many stories so many fascinating stories i mean boris onashenko who uh you know, wire tripped his sword to cheat hmm. and like, hmm. um, you know, like re electrical wired his sword or like, you know, just like all these crazy events and not just people being scandalous, but you know, the, the 72 Olympic basketball game where, I mean, you know, like that they, they, it was such a, it was such a travesty the way that it was run that they they ended up not accepting their silver medals and you know kind of circling back to greg luganis's dive and and his and how he kept quiet for so many years about the blood in the pool i mean and and getting the ability to talk to these people and to tell these stories and to hear it from their perspective all these years later is it's been super fascinating I love that. Actually, there there's so much to it that we don't know. And you always want to know what right. makes these people tick. And sometimes yeah. they're open and sometimes they're not. Now, you mentioned you said this is one of the one of the only or one of the few projects, but the one that's going to drop soon is before I let you go. What else are you working on? So I my second I'm working on my second book um, and it's called Powerful. And it's what it's what we're talking about here, Jim, today. It's this like, how do you you know, we look at people who we assume have power in the world, but then you look at them closely and they have very little power over themselves. Look at Harvey Weinstein, for example, right? He was at the top of his game, the top of his world, but could not control his instincts, could not control his inner world. And what I found from, you know, hitting rock bottom is that there is this internal power that you can tap into that enables you to be, to build yourself up, to be so formidable that you can navigate whatever life throws at you. Um, and, and life is going to throw it, you know, and it's this, the most empowering, probably most revolutionary thing that I've ever discovered in my life is these, these, these actions you can take this training you can do to really empower yourself internally. And then the world opens up to you in a way that I, I just can't even express how, how incredible it's been to, to be on this path. So powerful as the book um i just signed a deal to do a docu-series on it and I'll, i'm launching a, a podcast along those lines too and that will be probably 18 months um and so you know i'll keep you posted on that okay well i don't want to wait 18 i will wait 18 months i'd rather <laughs> not wait 18 months but really quickly molly this is why we're here this is why we're here is there something quick when you say once you realize how to tap into this the entire world opens up there's this power that almost nobody knows they really possess within yeah. is there, and it's gotta be obviously very, very complicated and not an easy thing to do, but is there a short answer? Like where would you begin if all of a sudden you acknowledge that there is this special, special thing, you just need to learn how to tap into it. Where would we start? Yeah, I think you start with the mind and I think you start to become aware of uh, what, what's the inner dialogue and how do you respond when the mindset gives you a message like, no, this is too hard or, no, we're going to fail. You know, do you buy into that or, or are you able to kind of back up, notice that and move forward anyway? So it's this, this practice of starting to become really aware of 
of, of how much power and agency you're giving the thinking mind. And there's all this science behind what the thinking mind is. And it's generally not telling the truth. It's generally just sort of like this program script that is, it, it is for me, you know, is like constituted by inputs, outputs, a fear response, uh, a survival response. And so just starting to become aware of, of those dialogues in your mind and starting to practice doing it anyway, or, or overcoming the, those signals anyway, um, I think is a great place to start. Molly, as well as you and I did the last time, and I thought it was such an amazing conversation. <laughs> I, I cannot tell you, I, I have never admired and respected you and your process and your mindset more than I do right now. I, out of respect to you, I need to let you go because I know I need <laughs> to let you go. Just know I could do this for four more hours. You are that good <laughs> and that interesting, and that is so awesome. If people Thanks, want more Jim. information and they want to, oh, thank you, and if people want to get a little bit closer and maybe learn more about what you're working on or what you're doing, where can I do direct our listeners yeah so i i'm on social media i am not that active i'm you know i'm not going to be posting like what i'm eating for breakfast but when i have something (laughs) i got you you know when i have something big or or i have updates about this that's where it'll be either twitter or instagram i'm molly bloom um and you know I'll, i'll keep you posted on on all the the sort of assets around powerful and torched and i love this podcast that you're doing Jim, I think it's such a cool concept and so important. So thank you so much for having me. I, I so appreciate you saying that, Molly. That means the world to me. And it means the world to me that you became a guest on this podcast and that you are now a part of that. And it was, uh, I mean, I, I always hate to say this because it sounds like I'm discrediting others because everybody's been fascinating, but that really was one of my favorite conversations. And I so appreciate you. I know you have a big, big month coming up. So good <laughs> health, good luck with everything. Thank and I will you. really look forward to talking to you again soon, Molly. Thanks so much for Thanks. your time. you too, Jim. So I've got to be real with you fellas. Whenever somebody asks me who has been your favorite guest or guest on the Reinvention Project, inevitably, I answer with one of the women. Every female that we've had on this pod has been an absolute powerhouse. Amy Purdy, Maria Menounos, Gabby Reese, and now Molly Bloom. All brilliant, all fierce, and all about reinvention, mental mastery, and standard over feelings. Molly really is something else. I mean, you want to talk about a complete and total reinvention. She has done it numerous times. First, when her Olympic dream and life's work were suddenly ripped from her in a single catastrophic moment. She starts over completely. She moves to L.A. She works odd jobs before transforming herself into an owner slash operator of one of the biggest poker businesses ever. She was living the life, making millions and millions of dollars before she got caught up in that life. She crossed the line, and the next thing you know, the mob. And the feds were coming for her. She lost the life. She lost everything she had. She was millions of dollars in debt. And she had lost herself completely. And she was a substance abuser. Broke, addicted, and seemingly nowhere to turn. She turns within. You want to talk fierce. You want to talk about a warrior. First, she has to get clean and sober. She wins that war. And then, and I've never heard anybody say this, and I love this statement so much. Molly said, I had to forgive myself so I could fight. I had to forgive myself so I could fight. 
Like, what a profound thing to say. How many of us are caught and trapped in the past in these negative loops? We can never even ultimately enter the arena or the Coliseum of Life because we never win the battle in our own minds. How can you fight for what you really want when you spend all your days kicking your own ass? Molly knew that if she continued to beat herself up over choices she had already made and things that she could not change and she didn't forgive herself, she would never have the energy or the resources to fight to put her life back together. She had to win the war within before she could actually wage war in the Coliseum of Life. What an amazing message. Clear the deck, forgive yourself, and stop beating yourself up over things that you cannot change. Then and only then can you fight for your future. Regret is worse than useless. It's toxic. It's deadly. It's lethal, literally, to your mind and your body. And then as part of her fight, she learned to reprogram her mind. She changed the narrative in her brain completely. She's responsible for a truly amazing movie, Molly's Game. But the truth is, we all have a movie. You do, I do, she does, we all do. We all have a movie and it's constantly running in our minds. And it's fueling us positively or it's bringing us down and preventing us from making the choices that we know we have to make and taking the actions that we know we have to take. The thing is, we're starring in this movie. We are the executive producers in this movie. We can change literally anything and everything we want in this movie if it's not working for us. It's our freaking movie and our responsibility. So if it doesn't serve you or you don't like what you're seeing or experiencing, rewrite the script. Your life is a movie and you are totally in charge. Like Molly and so many others before her who have appeared on this pod, you just need to be ready to go to battle for it every single day. Nobody was coming to save Molly Bloom. She made her choices. She accepted the consequences of those choices. And she put her life back together. Also, nobody is coming to save you. Nobody is coming to save me. We all make our choices and then we all have to live with the consequences. Once again, She owned her situation completely, and then she had the guts and the savvy to fight her way out and recreate and reinvent her life completely, and I couldn't respect and admire that any more than I do. Again, she made mistakes, but she owned them completely. She paid the price, and then she did the extremely hard work on herself, and she reclaimed and recreated her life completely. Complete reinvention. I think it's amazing. I hope you got as much out of that episode as I did. My thanks to Molly Bloom for an amazing conversation. And I want to remind you to look for her brand new podcast, Torched with Molly Bloom, which is going to drop shortly. If you liked what you just heard or you are now just finding us, I would love for you to subscribe to this podcast so you'll never have to go looking for it ever again. It will find you every time a new one drops. And if you do, please review it and share it with other people as every single bit helps. And then on top of that, we have 30 plus other episodes that are just as inspiring as this one. So you want to go back and listen to those as well. Thank you once again for finding us. Have an amazing week. And I will see you next time right here on the Reinvention Project with Jim Rome.
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.